The Book of Numbers gets overlooked, partly because it has a really boring name. Which is a shame. In the Hebrew tradition, the book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travel log about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot. But instead it takes them about 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime. Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories. But let's remember, it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section, they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab. The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land. Now, through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the surprising act of God's grace. So let's jump into this story. It all begins at the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and we've become really familiar with this mountain. Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt, and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here, and they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle, and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it, and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on. And this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is going to be great. But it's not great. After just three days on the road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst. And then even Moses' brother and sister start bad-mouthing him in front of all the people. Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Two of those spies come back and they're really optimistic. But the other 10 are freaked out and they don't trust God and they go around saying, we're going to get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny and they try to appoint a new leader who's going to take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically they are refusing to go into the promised land and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness and only their kids will get to enter the promised land. You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors. Yeah, and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, he'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people that results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse 
is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no, no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining, and they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab, and the king of Moab, he's freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them. This guy means business. Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, okay, I'm going to pray to the Hebrew god, and let's see what happens. And three different times, he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing, where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow going to be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them. The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the old generation behind, including Moses. But before they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about. Amen. Say amen. Say Jesus. What's up, church? What's up, church? Y'all ready for church today? Can I have all y'all stand up? We want to say hello to all our campuses, everybody watching out there online. Let's give a special welcome to the people in the military watching out there. God bless y'all. God bless y'all. I am so excited today because I, I'm a numbers person. I love numbers, so I'm so excited to go through the book of numbers. How many of y'all are like, oh, you're going to see how exciting this book is. God's word is exciting. Every single per page and every single word, you just got to look for it. Amen. Hey, let's take this uh, lesson plan out. We're going to do our memory verse and our prayer today. It's in your bulletin. It should say at the top, the kingdom perspective. The kingdom perspective. We want to give a welcome to all the people watching out there. Got all the campuses. God bless y'all. What's up? So excited. Okay, let's do our memory verse first. Our memory verse this month is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. It is easy, muy facile, one sense. Everyone, let's say it on three. One, two, three. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Be holy, for I, the Lord, your God. <laughs> I'm saying it in my mind. One more time. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. One more time. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Holy means to be set aside, set apart for one purpose. Everyone say, I am set apart for God's purpose. I belong to God. Very good. Let's read our prayer. We are in week four of a, of a series uh, called The Pursuit. And the pursuit is about how to be a disciple. And a disciple is someone who is in a disciplined pursuit of the heart of the Father. And so this prayer is not only an outline of the sermons we're going to do. We're in sermon actually number three on this, but we had an introductory sermon. Um, it is also a prayer that I would encourage you to pray every day that God would give you his heart, that you may have his desires and passions. Because often when we go to church and we become a Christian, we think, oh, I got to do these rules 
God's not about rules. He's about relationship. Everyone say relationship. And when that relationship takes root in your heart, then you will automatically do the thing God wants you to do. You will pray what he wants you to pray and a higher percentage of your prayers will come true because you are praying what he wants because you have his heart. Are y'all following what I'm saying? So let's read this. And let's do it this way. Let's read it slow. And when there's a comma, we're going to pause. When there's a semicolon, we're going to pause. Amen? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, so i got to calm myself down. I love numbers. Okay, see where it says do something, pray, disciple prayer, semicolon. Is that a semicolon? It's a colon. I'm a numbers guy, not an English guy. I see two, two dots. I, I know that's a verse in the Bible, right? Three, whatever. One, two, three. As they do something, disciple, I am in a disciplined pursuit for the heart of the Father. A heart that is being perfected in love for God and people. Father, give me a heart that desperately seeks face-to-face intimacy with you. Faithfully avoids that which displeases you. That was last week's sermon. Humbly embraces a kingdom mindset. That's today. Values making disciples. That's next week's sermon. Jesus created me a heart that. Values being guided by the word of God. Gratefully grows in generosity. Nurtures a burden for lost people. Demonstrates a commitment to a spirit-filled expression of my gifts. Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit again. Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit again. Holy Spirit. Develop a heart in me that gracefully gives and receives forgiveness. Passionately worships God is dependent on the power of prayer, serves with humility. Father, knit my heart with yours. Fill my heart with your passions, motivations, and desires. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray you give us your heart. Take out our heart of stone and put in your heart of flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Find someone around you that doesn't look like you and give them a hug and tell them God loves them. Amen, amen, amen. Who's the man? If you are a visitor and we say who's the man, you have, you have to, but we say Jesus like that with a dip. If you're in the mall, if you're walking down the street and you hear someone yell who's the man, by law, you have to yell Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I'm in the airports, I'm all over places and people yell at me, they want to see if I'm going to scream it out. And I'm like in these dignified events and someone say who's the man, I'm like Jesus, okay. Uh, let's lift your Bibles up on the count of three, say word. One, two, three, say word. One more time, lift your Bibles up and say word. Turn to the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers. Fourth book of the Bible, Numbers. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. I, am, I love numbers. I love math. I had four years of math, four years of calculus. I calculus one, two, three, four in college and differential equations, Diffie-Q. Anybody know what Diffie-Q is? Amen. Like five people. Amen. God bless you. A smart people. <laughs> I failed that class, but I was still smart. <laughs> uh, and I, I literally have enjoyment 
counting things. Just for fun, I'll just write numbers on a paper. You can't measure anything without a number. And God is such a numbers fanatic that I had a theory that he measures something with a number twice in every chapter in the Bible. But I think I'm wrong. Matter of fact, in the first two chapters of the book of Numbers, which we are to read today. How many of y'all are reading through the Bible with us? Raise your hand. Really high. Great, great, great. If you haven't read the book of Numbers today yet, uh, we are reading Numbers chapter 1 and chapter 2 that I read this morning. God uses a number 55 times to measure something in those two chapters. 55 times. Now, you may be looking at it, man, it's so boring. It was like this many people, this tribe had this many people, this tribe had this many people. But what you were missing was what he was counting and what he was doing when he was counting them. By the way, this has nothing to do with the theme of the sermon, but I just want to throw this in for free because I want you to look for stuff in the Bible. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen what God was, what God was doing when he was telling the Israelites to camp around the tabernacle. They were actually forming a cross in the wilderness. And so when you were reading all those numbers, he was saying, here's where I want you to camp. And so for 40 years, they camped, and that's what the symbol was. Can I get an amen for God? Come on now. Come on now. So uh, keep reading through. But this, this book is so fascinating because it has so many amazing stories. Whenever you read the Bible, 40-something percent of the Bible are stories. And the whole Bible is a story. And the structure of stories in the Bible, when you want to interpret them, or they call it narrative, a genre, the genre of narrative language, is that you always have to look for who is God's friend in the story and who is God's enemy. God's friend are individuals or groups of people who want to promote God's agenda. In every story, there's going to be somebody or angel or a group of people or a nation or an animal, for that matter, that is promoting God's agenda. In every story, there's going to be somebody, a person, a group, a demon, or an animal that is opposing God's agenda. And the, the, the conflict between God's friend and God's enemy is the plot of the story. We, we looked in, in a week's past where Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Moses was promoting God's agenda. Pharaoh was opposing God's agenda. And in every story, God is the hero. In other words, the plot or the conflict between God's friend and God's enemy is way too big for God's friend to handle. Moses went with a stick and his brother against the most powerful man in the world. And so Moses, a stick and his brother are no match for Pharaoh and his army. But because God was Moses' hero, God took care of his business. Can I get an amen? So in every story, there's someone who is God's friend. You want to look for that. Who is God's friend? And then there's somebody or a group of people who are God's enemy. They are opposed God's agenda. And there's going to be a conflict between the two. In every story, Samson and the Philistines. We'll look at that later in the, in the, in the series. And so every story is God's friend, God's enemy. What is the plot? What's the conflict? What is God asking God's friend to do? How are God's enemies opposing that plan? And then what does God do? Now, why this is important, when you read the story, you want to put yourself in the story. You want to identify with God's friend or God's enemy, and then you want to notice how does God act on behalf of his friends. Now, in this particular story, the Jews are getting ready to go into the promised land. They came out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, they got the Ten Commandments, they got the tabernacle, and they're walking, we just saw it through the wilderness, and they're going to get to the edge of the promised land that God promised them, and they're going to send 12 spies. How many spies are going to send in? Very good, 12 spies. They're going to send 12 spies into the promised land for 40 days. How many days? These numbers are very important. We'll get to them in a minute. 12 spies, and those 12 spies are going to spot the land 40 days, and they're going to come back. Two of the spies are going to say, we should go in the land. God's friend. 
Ten of the spies are going to say we shouldn't go in the land. There's giants in the land. We can't, we, we look like little people, little grasshoppers. They were against God's plan. So you're going to look for who are the people that are saying let's go in the land. Look who are the people who are saying don't go in the land. And then you're going to say what does God do? Now, why is this important? You know, what's the relevance? You, all of us are in multiple stories. And every relationship you have is a story. And you are either God's friend, obeying God in every relationship you have, in every situation, or you are opposing God would want you to do. And every single one of you, God is trying to deliver into your promised land. He's trying to deliver you into a blessing. He's trying to deliver you from your bondage, your Egypt. Can I get an amen? Whether it's, it's mental thoughts that you, he's trying to deliver you from, addictions, bad relationships, uh, a, a job that's going nowhere for you, a job that's wrong for you. He's trying to deliver you out of that into what he has called you and gifted you to do. And so you have to either decide, I am going to be like God's friend and walk into my promised land, or I'm going to be like God's enemy and resist. Now, what was the key to the two people who said we want to go into the promised land? It was their mentality. They had a kingdom mindset. Everyone say kingdom mindset. As we continue this series called The Pursuit, a disciple embraces a kingdom mindset. Everyone say with me, a disciple embraces a kingdom mindset. You are not going to walk into your promised land unless you have a kingdom mindset. If you are thinking like, you're, like people in your life that don't have God or if you are thinking with a worldly mindset, if everything is based on your logic and your experience and then your education, not that logic, experience, education are bad, but they're limited. God's ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens on earth, so his thoughts above yours. And so he leads us with our logic to come to a point of faith. We say, okay, God, I know what I know. Now tell me what you know. But if you stop at what you know and what your friends know, you will never walk into your promised land. So in this story, these two people who are saying, let's go into the promised land, they are saying to the, to the, to the two million Jews that are in the, promise, in, the, in the wilderness, we believe that God is going to do the impossible. And the 10 who were against them said, we don't believe God's going to do the impossible. And so three things I want you to write down in your, in your notes. Turn, look at your lesson plan and turn it to the back. Three fill-ins before we read this story. It says, Father, give me, number one, give me a heart that seeks a kingdom perspective. Every single day you should ask God to give you his perspective on your promised land. How many, say amen if you want God's blessing in your life. Here's the thing, God's blessing is way bigger than you think you deserve. God's blessing is way bigger than anyone has ever told you you deserve. And God's, big, big, but God's blessings are way bigger than more than, and, and more than you can handle in your own strength. So it seems unrealistic. But Lord, I want to know what it is. I want to be blessed by God. Can I get amen? Amen. So God, give me your perspective. Open my eyes. My prayer is that God would open your eyes so you could see what God has planned for your life. Because it's bigger and better than anything you can imagine. Number two, Jesus created me a heart that interprets the evidence from a kingdom perspective. <coughs> there is proof in your life that God is on your side. God has done, how many show of hands, God has gotten you out of some ridiculously impossible situations over and over again. Raise your hand over and over again. Undoubtedly. Come on, let's give it a go hand. There ain't no way. 
But here's what happens. We come up with another obstacle and we forget all of that. And we go, God left me. You don't have a kingdom mindset. Lord, help me understand the evidence. Some of y'all, your boyfriend just left you and you're like, God's like, I say, I'm saving you, girl. That brother didn't have a job. (laughs) He was driving to the parking lot saying he was going in there, but no one in that business knew who he was. Show me your perspective. Show me how often and the amazing miracles you've done in my life. Because if you know five miracles, God's done a thousand miracles. So God opened my eyes up that I would see the evidence of your faithfulness in my life, power in my life. And number three, Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me that seeks kingdom-minded people. Counsel of of kingdom-minded people. Counsel of kingdom-minded people. You have to have people in your life that talk to God. I wrote this quote on my social media, on Instagram last week. It was one of my most powerfully responded uh, posts. It says this, if the people in your circle do not inspire you, if the people in your circle do not inspire you, if the people in your circle do not inspire you, you do not have a circle, you have a cage. A lot of y'all got, a lot of y'all, the people in your life have you in a cage. They're telling you what you will never be, what you'll never have, what you'll never do, what you, you ain't smart enough, you're not cute enough, you're not tall enough, you're not white enough, black enough, your hair ain't straight, you ain't cake. They got to find any reason why you can't do what you can do. You got to get rid of those people, I'm telling you. And the only reason those people should be in your life, I shouldn't say the only reason, but if, if those people are in your life, you need to be speaking life into them, not death into you. And, but you need to get people in your life that are going to speak life into you, that see God's potential on your life. So let's turn to Numbers chapter 13. As we read this story, here's what we're going to look for. We're going to look for there's 12 people. Ten of them are going to say we don't go into the promised land. Two are going to say we're going to go into the promised land. I want you to look for them. It's going to be very obvious. And I want you to put yourself in the story. And I want you to listen and, and look for the evidence of God's faithfulness. And I want you to identify with what promised land God is calling you into. What challenge in your life right now? What adventure in your life right now? Is God saying, let's do something exciting. And you're hearing this voice, I can't. God won't. It's not going to happen. But you can't shake it. This, you just keep getting pulled to this impossible something. How many of you have something like that in your life? At least one thing in your life. Raise your hand. Really high. Elbow above the ear. Let's look really high, really high. Very good. Okay, okay, very good. So, so just think about that. And think if God's calling you, if you're going to be God's friend, that's just my term, God's friend, if you're going to be holy, if you're going to be faithful, whatever it is, you by faith have to hold on to God and say, God, I don't, listen, it is absolutely okay to say, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. And I'm scared. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 9, there's a story about a father who's demon-possessed son. He said to his, uh, Jesus said, do you believe I can heal your son? He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's great. God, I believe. I don't know how. He says, cool, that's, I, I could work with that. So God, I, I got this thing that in my life you're calling me to, so I'm just going to trust you. I don't know how, but I want to go for the ride. Can I get amen? I want to go for the ride. So let's read the story. Let's look for the evidence. Let's look for the evidence. Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spout the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. God is giving you and is calling you into something. He's he's already done. 
And then from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. There were 12 tribes because Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Israel had how many sons? Say 12. Very good. So each one of those was a tribe. Verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said, go up this way to the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land is good or bad, whether the cities are inhabited or camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage. Everyone say good courage. And bring back some fruit of the land or proof that it is what I said. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 25, and they returned from spying out the land for 40 days. Everyone say 40 days. Remember I said numbers are key. God uses numbers very specifically. 40 in the Bible is the number of testing. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. Moses lived 40 years in Egypt in Pharaoh's home, was educated. He lived 40 years as a shepherd, had his heart pasteurized, not pasteurized like milk, but pasteurized like a pastor. And then he led the Jews 40 years through the wilderness. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah fasted 40 days and 40, and 40 nights. Goliath talked trash 40 days before David killed him. A woman is pregnant 40 weeks, 40 weeks not to nine months. 40 is the t- number of testing. So what God said, I want you to, I want you to Spot the land 40 days, I want to give you ample time to get all the evidence. I don't want there any be excuse that you didn't know what was there. Keep that number in your head, 40 days. Everyone say 40 days. Verse 26, they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly, I want to say truly, flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Remember, milk is, milk is a symbol of a cow that can give milk so the land can sustain the cow. Honey is a symbol of bees pollinating a flower, which means you can grow fruits and vegetables. So the land can sustain growth of crops and animals, fruit and milk and honey, and here is the proof. And so basically it's what God said. And then in verse 28, it says, nevertheless. Everyone say nevertheless. Nevertheless. Say but. Here's what they said. It's just what God said. But. We can't do it. Can't do it. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. And very large. We saw the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites dwell in the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Huptites and Azites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. They say we can't do it. Every time, I'm not going to say every time, but probably every time you get to step into your destiny, God's purpose for your life, God's promised land, there's going to be someone who says, but what about this? You're not really that educated. Where are you going to get the money? You don't have any experience. And we bought this building, this building that we're in. It's, it's, uh, it was 240,000 square feet. It, was, it had been closed for 10 years. It was 50-something, 60-something years old, the building we're in right now. It's the size of Noah's Ark. It's 450 feet long, 45 feet high, three stories, just like Noah's Ark, this building that you're sitting in right now. And when it was bought, I was hearing all this chatter from some, just a few real estate people in, in the community saying, Miles has no idea what he's doing. And they were exactly right, but that didn't matter. It didn't matter. I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Let's do it anyway. 
You're, you're always going to hear that chatter, and, 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 and that's fine. That's all you're gonna, just, just know that, but that's not the voice of God. What is God saying to you? So they were saying, oh, the land is just what God said. However, however, but nevertheless, th those are the worldly-minded people. Not saying that you shouldn't count the cost. Please count the cost. As a matter of fact, it's so good, it's so important to count the cost. That even helps you understand the size of the miracle that God does. So, but, but if God said to go, you got to go. And the, the, the difference is going to be your mindset. Are you looking at it from God's perspective or man's perspective? Man's perspective is less than God's perspective. Take it into account. Count, consider, the, consider the information and then say, God, what do you want me to do? He says, I hear all that. Let's go anyway. Okay, let's go. Let's go. And the difference between all y'all who raise your hand saying God has something for you that he's calling you into, the difference is going to be your mindset and a bunch of other stuff, but it's going to be your mindset. Are you going to trust God even in the face of the impossible? The impossible. When we bought this building, we had a $7.2 million pledge and we, had to, we, had, we needed that money like in a week. And it never came through. And someone came and gave a multi-million dollar gift out of nowhere. We, we had to have it because we had a closed escrow. This was like 12, 12 years ago. Closed escrow and start construction in 30 days and everything was lined up. There's trucks were outside. The bank was like, let's go. We need that money. And everyone's like, where's the money? I said, I can't make the dude give the money. But God has not brought us this far to fail us now. Amen. So you have to trust God. Let's keep reading. Then it says, verse 30, Caleb. Oh, by the way, the people who stand nevertheless, are they God? God's friend or God's enemy? Enemy. Now, it doesn't mean people who say count the cost are God's enemy, not at all. But people who say don't trust God, don't go step into your blessing. Now, you should have people in your life that say let's count the cost so we know what to do. Great. You need to have that. You definitely need to have that. But then you go. Then it says in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Is Caleb God's friend or God's enemy? God's friend. Can I say God's friend? I know it's what you said. I just didn't hear it right. I'm just saying God's friend. So, and then it says in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than me. Are we? And, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we are gone out to spies is devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw like great of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak were there. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. These are people who are just accentuating, emphasizing the negative. How many people know people like that? How many of y'all? are those people. You don't have to be. How many of y'all do that to yourself? I can't do it. God doesn't love me. He won't bless me like her. She has nice hair. I won't ever see miracles in my life. I'll just stay home. That's not the voice of God. That mindset is what we're talking about. As a man or a woman thinks, so is she, he. If that's how you think, your thinking must be based on the heart of God and a kingdom perspective. God, you show me what you are doing. You are, God, are you telling me that 
do you love me? And that you want to bless me beyond what I could ask or imagine? Yeah. Are you telling me you're asking me to walk into that opportunity? Are you telling me you really, I really can date her? No, no, go easy now, fella. Easy now, fella. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night because they believed the critics. They believed the critics. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And all the whole congregation said, if only we died in Egypt. Or if only we died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Wouldn't it be not better if we go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and go back to slavery. Let me tell you something. If you are going to walk into your destiny, you have to have a kingdom mindset. And that kingdom mindset is going to have to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. When you think everything is lost and all you have is God, that is exactly what's going to happen. If you think everything's going to be laid out, it's going to be nice and you're going to know everything, that is not going to happen. When we, when we, when we were buying this building, one of the guys who helped us uh, uh, negotiate it, he was, he's been in real estate. Again, I never did anything like that and I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to get people smarter than me. I said, hey, can you help me with this? He said, yeah. He said, here's what's going to happen. This deal is going to die six times before we get to the end. I said, what do you mean? I said, it's going to be over. It's going to be done. Out. Put, kaput. It ain't, it's, it's done. I was like, for real? Why? What? Why? Why? He said, this is how it happens. And guess what? It died. All right, it's over, bye, not going to happen. Over, bye, not going to happen. Up like this, up like this, up like this, up like this. Roller coaster. I'm, I, every Sunday, pray, pray, God's going to do it. In the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, it's over. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> if you only knew, let me tell you. Uh, that's just how it is. And, and every time it ended, guess what God did? He strengthened my faith. Every time it ended, he brought us close together. Who was, every time it ended, he was doing something supernatural in our life. He said, I'm getting the most out of this experience. <laughs> and, he, and he did. I don't know why I had to be so hard, but I don't know if we were here. <laughs> we were told by some of the sellers, a church will never be in that building. And those very people were praising God with us when we got in here. Amen. Let's, 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 chapter 5, chapter, uh, verse 5, verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the children of Israel. And verse 6, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation saying, the land we passed through to spy out the land is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. And give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread and their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Joshua and Caleb. Everyone say Joshua. Joshua. Caleb. Those were the two. The fifth book, the sixth book of the Bible is the book of Joshua. That Joshua. Led them into the promised land. And I remember when I told you 40 days. Remember I told you 40 days? Remember? Say yes. Just make me feel good. Like you're, like, like you're listening. Okay. Very good. <laughs> they spotted the land 40 days. Here's what God said. I'm giving you 40 days and I want you to get all the evidence that I'm faithful. And they came back and said, we got all the evidence. God's not faithful. Basically what they said. We can't trust God. And God said because of that. If you just keep reading chapter 14, you'll see this. For every day you spot out the land, 
I'm going to have you walk around in circles for a year until all of y'all die. That's why they walk 40 days. When you go to the book of Deuteronomy, the next book, the first two verses tell us that it was 11 days from Mount Sinai to the promised land. They could have got to the promised land 11 days. Instead, because they didn't trust God and didn't have a kingdom mindset, they walked 40 years and the whole generation died except Joshua and Caleb. All y'all who raised your hand saying God has something for you, he's ready for you to walk in there right now. You're standing on the outside going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. You're just kind of going around in circles, oh, no, oh, no. And God's like, stop. Step into it. Say, a minute, we're going to pray. And for some of you, you just need to get saved. Some of you have been coming to church and you never asked Christ to be your Savior and you're waiting for, I don't know what you're waiting for. You may be waiting for incredible blessings and he's supposed to just pour out all the stuff on you before you get saved. He's done plenty for you to prove that he loves you. Namely, not kill you. Can I get amen? Yeah. I mean, he could have just said, okay, you know. I heard, I heard someone once say that people die either when they finish doing what God's called them to do or God's figures they're never going to get around to it. <laughs> so for some of you, it's like, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to walk into my relationship with Christ. For a lot of y'all, because a lot of y'all are saved, God's like, you're saved, but I have so much more for you. It's not about you being saved. It's about you walking with me as a disciple. It's about you getting in a D group and getting discipled so you can disciple someone else so the kingdom can grow and you can understand your gifts and the power of your gifts and expand the kingdom into the world in whatever world you're in, whether you're in medicine, whether you're in a teacher, whether you're in business, whatever it is, that God would use you. But you, gotta, you have to by faith step into it. You can't just exist and go in circles. So you have to say, okay, God, give me a kingdom mindset. Show me what you want me to do. Help me understand your perspective on my future and I want to by faith step into it. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes on all the campuses. Lord, open our eyes that we may see our circumstances as you do. And we may see the hope that you have given us, the destiny you have planned for us. And we may see the evidence of the miracles you've done in our life. Your hand has been so clearly evident in our hard times and good times. You never leave us or forsake us. You've gotten us through impossible situations over and over, even when we don't deserve it. And Lord, in our heart, we have this small, still voice telling us there's more to step forward into something that's impossible, that's exciting. But yet there's a louder voice telling us, don't trust God. Unfortunately, we listen to that voice too often. There may be some of you right now on all the campuses that are saying, I don't want to listen to that voice anymore. I want to have a kingdom mindset. I want to have God's perspective. I want to take those negative thoughts captive and make them obedient to the positive thought. I want to make them obedient to the voice of God. So I want you to pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart if you want to step out of your Egypt into your promised land. In the privacy of your heart, pray, dear God, forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I surrender my future to you. I reject in Jesus' name the voice of the critics, the negative voice 
of the skeptics. Lord, I embrace your mindset, a kingdom perspective. Open my eyes to the incredible future you have for me. Fill my heart with your heart, your power, the Spirit of God, that I may by faith think like you, see like you, make decisions like you, and walk out of my Egypt into my promised land. Despite the giants, the obstacles, and the challenges, because you are bigger than all my challenges. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute. And by standing, you are making public declaration, I'm walking out of my Egypt. I'm walking out of my wilderness wanderings. I'm going to walk with God. If you want someone who's with you to stand with you, just grab their hand, tap them on the shoulder and ask them by doing that, you're asking them to stand with you. So if you pray that prayer, no matter where you're at in all the campuses, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. One, two, three, stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.